0: In this message, our senior pastor, De Vega, continues our series on 1 Corinthians 13, and he's talking about how love isn't angry. Now, we may hear about love and anger in pop culture sometimes. In fact, this is right around May 4th, so I would be remiss if I didn't remember Star Wars where uh, anger leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side. But actually, this sermon has nothing to do with the dark side. This sermon's just gonna talk about anger and how an antidote for anger might actually be gentleness. But gentleness in a different way than you might think about gentleness. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Let us pray. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, humility, and to the way of love, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Our journey through the dimensions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, brings us to this interesting collection of phrases. Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. To which all God's people said, yeah, right. Easier said than done. You and I know how hard it is to deal with anger and we can know what can happen to our own mental and physical health if our anger is not kept in check. Research has shown that people who have poor anger management skills are more likely to suffer a heart attack before age 55 than people who handle anger in a healthy way. For older men, one's level of hostility and irritability towards others is a more accurate predictor of heart disease than cholesterol, alcohol intake, obesity, and cigarette smoking. For women with unresolved anger, they are more at risk for headaches, depression, and autoimmune disease. Now, this is not to say that all anger is bad, of course. Some anger is healthy and helpful. It's important to be angry at injustice and inequality. Anger has also helped us evolve as a species as a survival mechanism and to motivate us to better ourselves and society. But most of the time, In any typical week, anger is both unnecessary and unhelpful. A husband and wife were having a thoughtful conversation one day about their relationship and what they've learned about being married to each other over the years. The husband said, I'm sorry I get so angry at you sometimes. Wife, thank you for saying that. Husband, I don't get it. When I get mad at you, you never fight back. What's your secret? How how do you control your anger? The wife, after a few seconds silence. Well, I clean the toilet. Huh, interesting, husband said. So how does that help? Because it gets your mind off things? Because it gets your hands busy? Because it channels your anger productively? Wife, I use your toothbrush. The kind of anger we're exploring today is not about holy anger at injustice or inequality, or a healthy anger that improves us or society. Today, we explore the anger in our relationships. And we will learn how Paul's prescription of gentleness is the antidote for unhealthy anger in our interactions with others. I bet as you think about this past week, you can identify at least one interaction with someone else that sparked some kind of anger within you. Was it with a stranger? Maybe it was the driver who drove recklessly next to you and then blamed you for some reason. Was it a server at the restaurant who was rude to you and then screwed up your order? That happened to me this past week. Was it the guy on social media who posted a comment that really set you off. I could probably do a whole sermon about the virtues and vices of social media. Or maybe your angry interaction was with someone you know, a boss or a coworker who blasted you for no justifiable reason, or a friend with whom you've had a long standing disagreement and it just kind of hit the boiling point. There's no shortage of triggers for anger. So it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 13 begins this section on anger with the phrase, love is not easily provoked. It suggests that even though we can't control the things that happen around us or to us, we can control whether those things provoke us. There's a psychological phenomenon called mirror neurons that shapes how we engage other people. Uh, About 30 years ago, researchers discovered a unique type of brain cell that prompts us to respond equally when we see someone else experience or perform a certain action. Here's how mirror neurons work. Let's say you're in the park and you see someone get hit in the head with a Frisbee you reflexively feel great sympathy for that person. Or you're watching a marathon and you see the racers in a dead sprint at the end for the finish line and you feel your heart racing. Or you're eating a meal with someone and and you watch as they take a bite of food and then react with disgust in their face. And that makes your own stomach churn. The way your emotional reactions mimic their experiences is all due to mirror neurons. And it also applies to episodes of anger. So in the case of that reckless driver who flips you off or the rude server or the cranky boss or the social media troll, mirror neurons work in those situations too to raise your level of angry response to the same intensity with which someone has come at you. When someone who is angry tries to provoke you, then our psychological instinct is to rise and match that anger in return. Now, we can see how that might have been helpful hundreds of thousands of years ago when our primitive reptilian brains needed to keep us alive. But we know that we have a choice in whether or not to allow those situations to provoke us or not. We have control over whether to allow those mirror neurons To push us into reciprocal actions and responses. And biblically speaking, the antidote to that kind of angry provocation is gentleness. The writer of Proverbs says, A soft answer turns away wrath. Paul says to the Galatians, The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And he said to the Ephesians, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words... You can't control the anger that comes at you, but you can choose whether to allow that anger to provoke you. And the surest way to disrupt the instinct to respond in anger is to practice gentleness. I know, gentleness is often misconstrued as weakness, it's often equated as softness. We sometimes think that people who are gentle aren't tough. But here's something interesting. One of the Greek words in the New Testament that gets translated as gentleness or meekness is the Greek word praus, which is a word that the Greeks used to describe untamed stallions that they found in the wild. They would be taken in for training and conditioning, and once those horses were able to be harnessed for some useful purpose, they would be called praus, gentle. But remember... These horses are not weak. They are just as strong, just as tough, just as mighty as horses in the wild. But because they've gone through this process, they now practice self-control. Gentleness does not mean weakness. It means having mastery of oneself and a control over one's anger. And that, in fact, is a sign of strength. One of the most practical bits of advice on how to practice that kind of gentle self-control in the face of an angry situation comes from a book called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. The principle simply goes like this. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. When you're in a heated situation, our instinctive mirror neuron response is to be a thermometer, Someone raises their volume with you, you match their temperature, and raise your voice in response, and then when they fire off accusations, you return with ammunition of your own, and then things continue to escalate as you simply reflect the temperature of the room with your responses, just like a thermometer. Instead, Bolsinger suggests, be a thermostat. He said, what we have to do in those situations is to lower our own temperature to be just one degree lower than the highest temperature person in the room. In other words, if someone's volume goes up, then our response has to go down. If their inflammatory accusations increase, then our gentleness and our self-control need to lower the temperature of that situation. It's a technique that works. I've had to practice it because of other people. And I'll even confess that people have had to practice it because of me. Customer service representatives in cable and cell phone call centers must be trained in it based on firsthand experience. But it works, and it's something that you can be conscious of in the heat of the moment the next time you're in one. The 19th century German evangelist and philanthropist George Mueller wrote a prayer that I will invite us to offer together in a moment to close this sermon. Mueller had been living most of his life as a wayward soul, getting lost in one series of bad choices after another. He characterized his life as full of, quote, wicked behavior and unrepentant spirit. I was as careless as ever, he said. And then God's grace took over. He came to know Jesus and the power of love, and he turned this lost, angry, desperate soul into a marvelous force for good in England. He provided care for over 10,000 orphans, established 117 schools, cared for 120,000 children in his lifetime. This is one of his most famous prayers, one for us to offer today and every day as we seek to live out this gift of love and to practice more gentleness and less unhealthy anger in our relationships with others. I invite you to pray these words with me in unison. Lord, don't let me become bitter. Lord, deliver me from arrogance. Lord, don't let me become cranky. Lord, teach me how to love others. Lord, free me from a critical spirit. Lord, I want a merciful heart. Lord, use me to win others to you. Amen. And God, as we continue in this spirit of prayer, grant us your strength and self-control, which can only come by your Spirit at work within us. Help us not to be easily provoked, to not be irritable, and to be more like a thermostat and less like a thermometer in our encounters with others. Teach us gentleness. Remind us of the example of Jesus who faced his critics and his adversaries with a centered calm. Teach us to love like Jesus, whose resurrection guarantees us
0: new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for watching this message. I do hope that that idea of gentleness, not being weakness, but actually being a sign of strength uh, might stick with you throughout this week. Or maybe that idea of being a thermostat, but not a thermometer. That's also something to think about. Hey, as you're thinking about this sermon and about this message, uh, check out the reflection questions in the notes below. And if you want to take this deeper, join a small group, or just connect with our church, go to our Next Steps page at hydeparkumc.org slash next steps. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time.